So we're, we're picking up today where we left off last week, and, and that was kind of this last thing that I brought up, was that getting beneath the surface of your life requires a deeper look. And then I put a, a comma there, more than a period, and said, let's, let's bring this back up this week. Let's talk a little bit more about that this week. So discipleship, it begins with that transformational work that Jesus brings through grace. So I always want to be clear about that that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. And it's not by your effort and your work or my work. We're not, we're, we don't become acceptable to God by doing the right things. We are acceptable to God by believing in the work that He's done in Jesus Christ. Uh, we put our faith in His death, uh, His burial, and His resurrection, and His ascension to the Father, and the promise that He's coming again. We, our, our faith is based solely on His work, not on our work. And so the things that we talk about in terms of discipleship, this isn't how you become a Christian. This is how you live the life that you're intended to live and experience the abundant life that Jesus has provided for you. And, and so I just always want to be clear about that. If you haven't made that decision to know Jesus Christ, talking about discipleship and doing the right things won't help you to know Him more deeply. The first thing you need to do is say, Lord, the life I've lived on my own and, and having control of my own life and not surrendering it to you has not served me well. <laughs> I want life that comes from you, therefore I accept the life that Jesus Christ brings to me. So that's that confession of, Lord, you're right and your way of life is right. My way has been wrong. And so now I want to follow you and pursue a life with you, with you as Lord and King. So that's the first step. And then we begin that discipleship process of following after Jesus. And he makes that invitation to anyone within an earshot who would hear him say, come and follow me. That his arms are open. He's, he's welcoming anyone who would follow after him and pursue him. Uh, he, is, he is ready to lead you and lead you into a more fulfilling life and a, a, more, uh, a life that more resembles the abundant life that he has for you. So I want to read uh, this morning, we're going to be at Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible or an app, and we'll also have the words on the screen, the scripture on the screen, but Mark chapter 10, two different encounters with Jesus, two people who, when they met Jesus, had transformational experiences with him uh, because he took them beneath the surface of their life. <laughs> they presented something, and Jesus didn't just leave it at what they were presenting, he, he kind of nudged a little bit poked a little bit into their life and caused them to have to look at themselves in relationship to him in a different way, really deal with their hearts. So the first man, uh, he approaches Jesus with a sense that life is actually really together. So Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, uh, this is a story of a rich man who came to Jesus. And he, he really, if you think about this individual, he, he would be kind of a stereotype or a picture of what many of us would think of as a good church-going person who life is really working pretty well for him. Um, you know, he's open to hearing if there's a tweak or a little adjustment that he can make to his life. He's not looking for wholesale changes because, one, he has wealth. And so, you know, from outward appearances, again, he's lived life right and he's he has affluence so that life works pretty well for him. He has his needs taken care of. Uh, when we talk about wealth in that culture, that would certainly be a part of it. You could have extreme wealth, but just that life was going well. He had 
food, he had shelter, he had, you know, people recognize he had stature in the community. But again, he's open to hearing something. He approaches Jesus with this idea of, well, maybe there's something else I could do that could, you know, life could work a little bit better. I could be doing better. And so we pick up the story from here as he approaches Jesus. Verses 17 to 22 of Mark 10 says, and as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus is getting ready to to go on a, a journey with the disciples. Setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he, the the man, he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This type of encounter and the one that we'll see, we'll read in just a moment, and a number of others that we find in Scripture always amaze me at how Jesus is able to really get beneath the surface of people's lives really quick. <laughs> I, I have difficulty. I, you know, the, the, the way that we present ourselves, the way I present myself, um, I usually take that at face value, and, and it takes a while, conversation or the person unveiling something about themselves. But, of course, Jesus, in complete relationship to the Father, total communion with the Father, uh, listening to what the Father says, discerning about this man's life. He, he walked so deeply in the Spirit of God and being able to uh, in, interpret what's happening in people's lives. So he has this word of knowledge about this man's life. And it is that you know, he understands that he, where his hang-up point is. Now, I wouldn't have just at face value known what the, point, what the issue was. I might say, well, he's doing pretty good there, and he's, he's you know, wealthy, and it seems like he's loving God. He's obeying the, the commands. But Jesus steps right at the, the one issue that he's really needing to address, the beneath-the-surface issue that the man doesn't really readily give over to Jesus but Jesus sees it in his life. So we don't know everything, again, about this man, but here's a couple things that are made really clear. One, he has religious zeal and devotion. You notice that Jesus doesn't question him uh, about the man's contention that he, I've obeyed all these things from the youth. Jesus doesn't go after that and say, yeah, I have a couple things I know about your life, and let me tell you a couple things you're failing to address. He, he doesn't do that. He just, he says, he, the man presents that, hey, I've done these things. I love God. I'm, I've been devout in all of these things. And, and so he, he really has this um, zeal and this devotion. In fact, that's also because he pursues Jesus, right? He wants to know something more. He's, he's, he's wanting to know if there's something else he could be doing that would please God. And so we really shouldn't look at it and question his zeal, although I think maybe Jesus was speaking tongue-in-cheek a little bit and just saying, one thing you lack. (laughs) Most of us, if we came before the Lord, we know there's maybe more than one thing that we 
needed to address in our life. But Jesus graciously just says, one, one thing you lack. So I don't think we should really question his zeal and his devotion. Um, you know, he's, he's a good Jew. He replies, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. The other thing we know about him is his wealth, because that's pointed out in the passage too. <clears throat> and I, I said this before, that life has apparently worked for him. It's going okay. There's, there's no reason to look at him and go, well, maybe he, didn't, he, he did something wrong, or he mismanaged his life somehow that he's impoverished, or he's, he's needy, or he's greatly indebted. No, I mean, you, you look, he seems like life is going pretty well. Uh, he's loving God. He's accruing security in his wealth. Most of us, again, I think would look at this guy, and we may even in our churches kind of put him up front and say, this guy is doing it right. He's the type of Christian guy that we should aspire to be. He loves God. He's holding, uh, you know, everything um, in, in his devotion to God. And God has apparently blessed him because he has wealth. And so he's well taken care of. He's managed his money well. And we would say, boy, this, this guy's really doing well. <laughs> but, there's, but there's also a third thing about that's kind of interesting. He's not entirely sure that his approach to life is right. He doesn't confess that outright, but he does come to Jesus. Even though he obeys the law, even though he has wealth, so he's blessed and life seems to be going well, something isn't quite sitting right in order for him to come and bow and kneel before this rabbi and say, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he's not totally confident he does have it right. He's not totally sure that he has all the answers because for as much as life is working right for him, something within him isn't quite resolved. There's something that's kind of itching beneath the surface that says, maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something I'm not getting. So he approaches Jesus with that question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want to know for sure that I've got everything nailed down and that I'm right with God. So Jesus doesn't call him out on arrogance. He doesn't challenge uh, his religiosity. Jesus says, one thing you lack. Um, go and give away all your possessions and, and then come follow me. Don't come to me seeking advice, but just give it all up and then come and, and pursue me. And the man leaves in sadness. Jesus, in his, his very knowing and loving way, he applies pressure to the one area that man did not reveal. <laughs> he, it's almost like if you ever, on, somewhere on your body, you have a bruise, you know, you, it doesn't hurt constantly, but if you're kind of rubbing your hand over it or if you're bruised and you lean on something and you hit that bruise, you, go, you kind of pull up because you go, oh, that's tender. It's still... It's not completely healed up yet. There's still tender. Jesus has such a way, lovingly and compassionately, finding that spot where it's not completely healed yet. And he applies a little bit of pressure, not to mortally wound us, not to cause us just complete disillusionment, but he applies enough pressure so that we can go, and this rich man goes, oh, that's the issue, isn't it? <laughs> that's What's, it comes up to the surface right away and everybody sees what the real issue is. 
His devotion to God, his willingness to follow was skin deep. He was doing the right actions. He came and pursued Jesus, so he, he, he wanted to know more of what he could do. So he had all the image stuff taken care of. Everything about the appearance that he was spiritual, that he was blessed, that life was going well. But Jesus puts a little pressure on the underneath issue. And he says, oh, <laughs> that's too much. You've gone too far now. That's too hard for me to, to follow in that. He revealed what was really happening on the inside. And that's the way it is for all of us. The Lord finds that spot in our life where it's tender. We don't maybe even know that it's still bruised. We don't know that we're still addressing something there. But it's amazing how the Lord is, and again, not, not to show us how weak we are or how broken we are, but just to say, I know you feel like things are going really well right now, but I just want to reveal to you a spot in your life, a spot that's tender, and you, you might want to look a little deeper beneath the surface in that area of your life. There's more about that whole encounter, but I want us to look at another one. This is with the disciples, so just in case we're tempted to think that this type of thing is only for those who have yet to become Christians, this is uh, John chapter 21, and it's with Peter. So here's a disciple of Jesus's who's faithfully been following the Lord uh, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has already been uh, crucified and resurrected. The disciples have actually already seen Jesus after the resurrection once before this, uh, some of them. And so, you know, here's Peter. Peter was bold for the Lord. Peter was so strong. In fact, Jesus calls him the rock. You know, Peter, you are the rock. And, and we always, in the church, oftentimes we reference Peter because he was just kind of this, you know, step into it, you know, head first almost, like not a care in the world. I'm going to do it. I'm bold. I'm straightforward. And so this is Peter. He's strong. He's always at the front of the line. And uh, Jesus, prior to the crucifixion, Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to be crucified. Everybody's, and he tells the disciples, you're all going to disown me. And what does Peter do? Not me. <laughs> I'm not going to deny you, Lord. I'm going to, I will go to the cross. I'll go to my death for you. And, and Jesus just lovingly again, just nope. <laughs> Before, before the sun fully comes up and the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Three times before the rooster even crows in the morning. And I'm sure for Peter, he just, it could never happen. I am committed to the Lord. I, that will never happen. He's, he's this bold, I will die with you. So it's very unsettling, I'm sure, when Jesus tells that to Peter, though, because Jesus uh, wasn't wrong on his words. <laughs> When he said something was going to happen, it happened. And so I'm sure it was uh, confusing for Peter. Well, of course, it unfolded exactly as Jesus told him. Jesus arrested. Peter denies that he's even a disciple. He denies him. I never even knew the man. Peter cries out. And so three times he denies him. And then the, the crow uh, starts the day off. And, and Peter's just shocked. And so we pick up in this story after the resurrection. He's uh, the disciples are out on the boat fishing. In fact, it was Peter's idea, I'm going to go fish. Uh, it's still dark when they set out onto the lake. And, uh, and so they're all out in the boat. And then as the sun begins to come up, there's a man on the shore that calls out to him, hey, guys, throw your net on the right side of the boat. 
And all of a sudden, it's a picture that's very similar to Jesus and the disciples earlier in their, very early on in their walk with him. So they put the net on the right, and it's so full of fish, just getting it in. The nets don't tear, but it's just so full of fish, they're, they're trying to haul it in. John turns to Peter and says at the shore, he points to the, the man who's uh, still on the shore, and he says, it's the Lord. <laughs> Peter, again, just so impulsive, jumps in the water and just starts swimming for sure. He's not waiting for them to get the fish in, get the boat over. He just jumps in and just swims to the shore. And, you know, I don't know if he embraces, but I mean, throws himself at his feet. But just to see the Lord, the resurrected Christ in front of him, and just overwhelmed with with joy. The other disciples make it back to the shore. Jesus has started a fire. And so they start fixing breakfast. They're having breakfast together. Fish. That doesn't sit with some of you, I take it. Yeah? So they have this fish breakfast. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's Peter just feeling good. His Lord that he had denied is resurrected. It just feels good to have him back. Uh, he's, he hasn't called him out or, you know, made a point of how he had denied him. And, and they're having breakfast, a good moment for all of them. And that's where we pick up, okay? John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referencing the other disciples. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Jesus says back to Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was uh, to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, hear this, follow me. This is different than the rich man, but there's some real similarities Peter didn't struggle to follow under the entanglements of wealth. That wasn't Peter's issue. (laughs) He wasn't a wealthy man, and he had no pretense that he was a very religious man when he came to Christ. He was a fisherman, so he didn't present to the Lord his great uh, abilities and and devout uh, commitment to the Lord. Uh, That wasn't his issue. He didn't present that. But what he did struggle with is his idea that his zeal for the Lord was enough. He struggled with this idea that he could will himself or by his sheer strength, he could follow the Lord and he could be the person that God wanted him to be just out of his sheer will and devotion, that he was more devoted, more committed, and nothing would pull him away from that. And this, so it's in this encounter, Jesus touches this very sensitive place in Peter's life, getting beneath the surface. You can almost feel it, can't you? I get emotional just thinking about it. The denial, the shame. 
What's the pain that we would have felt? A good person would have just glossed over it. Peter, buddy, come here. <laughs> We're good now. I'm alive. It's all okay. Don't, you don't need to worry about that stuff. We're, we're not even going to, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to bring it up. Peter, we're good. Let's just have fish and let's just go on with life. <laughs> Jesus is not that nice, friendly person. <laughs> he sees the bruise, he sees the wound, and he begins to press on it and apply a little bit of pressure. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? First time, you, Lord, you know I love you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to affirm I love you <laughs> and feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. <laughs> it's kind of an uneasy moment, right? The conversation's getting awkward. And by the third time, <laughs> the denial comes rising back up to the surface. The betrayal. <laughs> Lord says, affirms him again and says, Feed my sheep. Then he goes through and, and he tells him, and this is such a powerful part as, as he's finishing this portion. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. He's addressing the very point of lack of discipleship that Peter deals with from his life before coming to Christ. His life was whatever he wanted. He commanded life to happen the way he wanted it and he forced his way through it. And Jesus is pointing, pointing that out. He's just saying, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you did whatever you wanted. You, you just took life on however you wanted to take it on. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It points to the type of death which Peter would, would die where he gives his life up. But it's also an indication of that point in his life that Jesus is dis, uh, addressing. This area is going to be discipled in your life. We are going to work with you. I'm going to, Jesus, I'm going to restore you. But this area of your life is going to have to come under my authority. It's going to have to come under my lordship. And so where you think you can just serve me out of your own strength, serve me out of your own just sheer will and desire, affirming you'll never deny me, I want to bring that back up to the surface, that point of tenderness and vulnerability. We're going, to, we're going to rehash that right now. And I'm going to allow you to see your point of where discipline needs to come into your life, the beneath the surface issue of you exerting your will and not really following me at all. You're following your own desire to prove to me that you love me, your desire to prove that you're worthy. And Jesus says, you're not. You're not capable of doing this. So let me reaffirm you. Let me establish you that you're still my disciple. And now, Peter, follow me. Don't try to get beside me. Don't try to get out ahead of me. Follow me. It's so powerful, just this interaction. The reality is it's one thing to see it revealed in another's life. It's it's far different when it's unveiled in our own, isn't it? <laughs> it's, I can read the Bible stories, but when I think about my own life, it's a far different experience when the Lord wants to apply pressure on a spot in my life and say, why don't you check out that spot? It's kind of like a dashboard, different lights come on, 
And how many of you right now, I, I actually want to see this, how many of you have a check engine light on your dash that's on? Any? Yeah, yeah, a few of us. I do. I have a, da- a check engine light that's on, and I say, oh, it's nothing. They'll just reset it when I get the oil changed, right? But that happens. It's, we've got these lights, these warning signals, and so we just say, you know, it'll, it's running, it's going. What a picture of how often we live our life, that it just seems like it's working okay. Yes, there's a tender spot there. Yes, there's something that's been unveiled or revealed to me about my life, about the way that I'm facing and addressing life. But you know what? Life is pretty okay. It's working. So let's just ignore that check engine light and just keep going forward. So we, we usually, when we're going through things in our lives as followers of Jesus, what he has is there's points of pressure in our own life where he's asking us to check beneath the surface what's happening in our motives and in our heart that's then causing our actions to be a certain way. But he's also inviting us to come alongside of others because it can be really difficult to do this on our own. And so that's why we have community. That's why we have fellowship with one another. That's one of the reasons that he encourages us is because we can help when I experience pressure in something, somebody can help me walk through and understand what that looks like. I use the term pressure. It's really just what's happening beneath the surface of my life. Sometimes it can be an emotion. Well, we'll get into that in just a moment. And then I just have three things that I want us to be able to see of, uh, before our time is up, is how can we move into wholeness when this type of experience happens instead of retreating back? So instead of ignoring the check engine light of our lives, or instead of quickly just sliding those things to the side and wanting to move on, how do we really go deeper into our discipleship with Jesus at that, at that moment? How do we move from this point of, this is an interruption to my life, to, Lord, you are expressing a grace to me by revealing to me an area in my life that needs to come under your lordship. So the first thing, how do, how do you go beneath the surface? One is develop an awareness of what I'm feeling and doing. Develop an awareness of what I'm feeling and doing. So this is the one where, again, we don't just ignore things that are happening around us. We have this ability to, uh, to, to be uh, awakened to what am I feeling? What's, what's the sensitivity? Am I aware of the things that are actually happening in my life? When I, when I worked as a, in training and development, we used to go through this exercise and we would say, okay, uh, now walk through um, how you got to work this morning. And so people would say, no, uh, I just woke up, I got ready, I got in the car, and then I drove here. No, no, tell me how you drove here, Uh, got in the car, and I took this road to this road. No, no, no. Tell me, how did you drive here? Um, You know, and kind of this puzzling look would look at us. Uh, No, give me the details. Well, I opened the door, and then I sat down, and I closed the door behind me, and I put the key in the ignition, and then I turned it, and then I waited for about 30 seconds. And while that was happening, I put the seatbelt on. I adjust, right? Thousands and thousands of steps and things we do every day by rote. We just do it. We don't ever think about it. We just do it. That's how life often happens. Is we're just doing it. This first point is to say, listen, you and I, in lieu of or in place of a rote memory life, have to slow down enough 
to be able to say, Lord, what's happening right now? What's happening in my life and what's happening in the life of those around me? Are you doing something here? How many times do I, am I not even cognizant of the people around me? I'm going in to get a bag of chips. I'm not looking at people. I don't know what's going on around me. I don't know what God wants to do in this situation. I just want my chips. <laughs> that's my goal. That's, that's rote memory. I know where the aisle is. I pick them up. I know what brand I want. I get in line. I check out and I go. And here's where the Lord would just encourage us just to have an awareness of what I'm feeling and what I'm doing. Do I have a self-awareness of what's happening in life or am I just living it rote memory day to day? How many people do you and I encounter who actually say that? <laughs> I, I, how many times have I seen it, right? Wake up, wash, rinse, repeat. That's a thing. People say that all the time. It's just life. Wake up, wash, rinse, repeat. Wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, go to bed, go home. That's not the life that Jesus Christ offers you and I. He offers what he calls abundant life. And the only way that you get to abundant life is getting beneath the surface and saying, Lord, what are you doing in me at this moment? What are you doing in this area? Anybody here? What, what kind of beneath the surface activity is happening that I can join you in? The second one is practicing asking why and what's going on. It's similar to the first, but these are really good questions to ask of yourself. Ask of the places where you are and you start becoming aware. Why and what's going on? Become skilled at asking. Uh, this is an important one. How many of us just, our body will be telling us stuff and we'll just ignore it and we'll just keep pressing through. It's like the engine light, right? Do you know that over the past year I've been practicing this more and I can't tell you how many times I've noticed my stomach in knots and it's tense and it's tight. But so many times I would just not even pay attention to that. I would just blaze on ahead and just say, ah, you know, just I'm uptight, it'll... Tonight I'll rest and I'll go through. Instead of asking, what am I tense about? What am I anxious about? My thoughts are just filled and I'm running. My mind is busy and I can't settle it down. So instead of asking why it's busy, I turn on music to get over the top of it. Or I try and just turn on a show and binge watch something, right? How often does that, those types of things happen? Instead of saying, what's happening inside of me right now? Am I discerning what God is speaking to me through my own body, what a gift He's given us, that it gives us signals. When I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling overly tired, when, I'm, when my mind is racing, when in my shoulders this tension and I'm just tied up, do I just pause for a moment and just say, Lord, what am I experiencing in this moment? Can you speak to me? And then I notice, boy, my, I'm really tight. Lord, help me discern this anxiety or this anxiousness that I'm feeling in this moment. God can begin to speak to us. That's the beneath the surface stuff. Or, here's the other alternative, <laughs> ignore it and just press on and push through. <laughs> but how often is that the norm of our culture? And what we're talking about is a countercultural lifestyle. That instead of medicating those things, ignoring those things, and just pushing past and say it doesn't mean anything, we say, Lord, speak to me just through my own body and my own thoughts. What is it that you're wanting me to understand? So asking good questions. Why? Why is this happening? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I angry? Why am I anxious? Why am I upset that when they do that, do I have this sense of justice that I have to correct it for them? What, what's going on? 
And then the third one is uh, giving up the image of holding it all together. Anybody else ever deal with that? Face that? The truth is, here's, here's why Jesus came. He came to bring the good news. The good news is only good news for those who have needs. If you are fine, if you're good, if, if life works for you without the Lord, if, if you're getting by okay, honestly, the gospel's not for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break the news to you. Life only works for those who have needs. So those who are desperate and needy and life isn't going to work unless Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And so this idea that we have to have it together runs counter to what the gospel is for in the first place. Jesus came to heal the sick. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to take those who are impoverished of spirit and give them real blessedness of life, real joy. So if we already are okay in all those things, then Jesus really has nothing to offer us. However, however, if you recognize, like the one that Jesus pointed out who was beating his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I need mercy. Jesus pointed out to that one and he said, he's going to receive what he needs. But if you or I stand on a soapbox and we want to present that we have it all together and it's all okay and we have need of nothing, then there's really nothing available for us. God comforts those who mourn. So it's okay to have loss. It's okay to grieve. Because he'll bring comfort. If you just say, I'm okay, life's just going to go on, it'll be all okay, let's just get it, get it past us then Jesus really has nothing for you because you've resolved to fix it on your own. But if instead you and I are willing to come and just say, Lord, I'm impoverished in this way, and unless you fill that space, I will always be impoverished. Lord, I have need of you. And so those things we can do, and I just invite you this morning, we're going to finish with a response time of worship and song, an opportunity to just bring ourselves, first develop an awareness of what I'm feeling and doing, slowing down enough to look around me, stop this, this process of life by rote memory of just kind of going through it as it comes to me, but saying, Lord, what are you doing here? What's happening right now in my life? What's happening around me? Asking the question of why. <laughs> Lord, why, why is this happening in me? Can you speak to me, Lord, through what I'm experiencing and I'm feeling? What are you doing? And then this last one of just, Lord, help me to live in a humble state. In fact, I was reading this week about humility comes from Latin root of that is, is humus or hummus, which is of the earth, right? So humility just simply recognizes we're dirt. We're of the earth. We're, we're, we're not, we don't have it all together. It's that humility that says, I can't take it all. I don't have it all within myself, but I have needs. And that's exactly what God anticipated from all of us, that we would have needs and that he can fulfill those as our heavenly father. Not in a name it and claim it kind of weird kind of way, but just as a child to a parent says, 
I need to be taken care of. And the Father who is loving and gracious says, I can do that. Would you join me in standing? And as you do, I just invite you to take this time to respond to what the Lord had put on your heart. We have communion up at either side, uh, and you can receive the bread and dip it into uh, the, the juice that's there. And again, that's an identification with life in Jesus Christ. Um, we have our worship team who's going to be leading us in a couple songs, and I just invite you to just bring yourself, allow these words and recognition that when God applies pressure or when you experience pressure on an area of your life, it's okay to say, oh, I I feel that, (laughs) and I want to go beneath the surface to actually face what that is. We also have our prayer team who, if you just, you recognize something that's coming to the surface and and God's touching on an area and you feel a bit overwhelmed by it, they want to pray with you. You're, You're not alone in that. They'll come alongside of you and pray with you for what that area is and how they can encourage you and support you as you walk out your discipleship and and growing with the Lord. So let's give the Lord Jesus ourselves. Father, as we come, uh, we, we recognize, Lord, that there is stuff still beneath the surface of our lives. We're not done yet. Uh, We, Lord, need to continue to disciple. And part of that is not just changing the dressing and the outer appearance of everything, but Lord, really getting into what's happening in our hearts and allowing you to speak to us. So, Lord, I pray right now, just slow us down, not just in this moment, but slow us down in the days and weeks ahead, that life would come at us at one pace, but, Lord, we would take it in at a different, so that we could discern what it is you're doing and what it is you're saying to us. Lord, give us inquisitive minds, not to just ignore check engine lights and things that are happening, our own bodies that are speaking out to us, that stuff's happening inside. But Lord, we would discern it and not just medicate it, but Lord, we would uh, be willing to bring it before you and, and ask you what's happening. And then Lord, that we would have the humility to say, it's not all working right. <laughs> There's things that still under the hood that you are needing to address. There's still beneath skin deep. There's still things, Lord, that, that I need to bring to you. So I thank you for this time, and we give it to you in Jesus' name.